Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Power From Port podcast. This is your host, Jamie, and on this afternoon's episode, I will be previewing the preliminary final between Port Adelaide and the Western Bulldogs tomorrow night, Saturday, the 11th of September at 7.10pm. Uh, but first, I'd just like to say thank you to Dave at the Creedcast. Uh, as you would know, looking on my Facebook page, I did join in on Dave for his podcast. We recorded that on Wednesday night. I believe it dropped last night. And uh, we had a bit of fun just chatting about this weekend's game, uh, just our thoughts and our feelings towards different aspects of the preliminary final itself and uh, Port Adelaide Football Club in general, just a few tidbits, just a nice little chit-chat. Um, so I really appreciate him for having me on, and it, it was a lot of fun for those who haven't listened yet um, or haven't heard of Dave's work at the Creedcast. I'd highly suggest going to suss him out. He's um, he's a great guy. Uh, we've been speaking for quite a while now after bumping into each other at the football, and he also uh, sells some... Uh, souvenirs on his Creed 1870 website, like badges and stubby holders and different bits and pieces like that, which are cool. I've definitely bought a couple of things myself. A King Charlie stubby holder is my favourite at the moment. And um, yeah, yeah, go and check him out. He's a, he's a great guy, as I said, and, and deserves all the support he can get. Um, now, before I get into the game, I'm just going to keep this brief today as like, I've already spoken with Dave and um, posted up on my Facebook page. So for most of you, you probably already listened to that as well and gauged my thoughts a little bit. And um, yeah, I, I guess the other thing is that we've only played the Western Bulldogs a few weeks ago. So a lot of what I will talk about in this episode is not too dissimilar to when we played them the last time around. But yeah, before I get into that, let's just have a look at the week in the news. So it's not necessarily news as such this week that came out. I just wanted to revert back to last Saturday afternoon where obviously Port Adelaide Power had the week off in the AFL and uh, we took a focus to the SANFL with the Port Adelaide Magpies coming up against ladder leaders Glenelg who were up until that point undefeated. Uh, I was actually at work, unluckily... Uh, until 4, 4.30, but I uh, paid for a digital pass on the day just so I could watch it uh, when I wasn't required to be out and about um, at my work, and uh, I watched the game, and, and look, yeah, we um, we listed a pretty powerful team, pretty strong team, as I shared on my Facebook page on Friday afternoon, and uh, yeah, they just put the foot down early and, and, and didn't really let up. Glenelg threw a few punches throughout the match, and uh, as the minor premiers, you would expect them to, uh, but we had enough experience and enough heart to outlast it and uh, really return serve and, and keep that buffer. Now, in the news component, it comes with the feedback that I guess we got in the uh, press afterwards and quite uh, jealous maybe you could say, or just a barb, just a barb at some of the rules that, look, the other SNFL clubs did vote for us to have a reserves team in the competition at that point uh, when the vote was made and with the Port Adelaide Magpies and the Adelaide Crows reserves for that matter, it's damned if you do and damned if you don't. If uh, SNFL team beats us, then it's all fantastic. But if we beat them, then we, we're far too good. And, you know, there's all these excuses under the sun. And, you know, it, it was very... 
much highlighted in the press afterwards that we, you know, we had a, a list full of AFL players and a bit of that bull crap, but uh, it, it did seem to get forgotten how many ex-AFL footballers Glenelg had on their list. And on top of that, for most of the AFL listed players in the Magpies team on Saturday, a lot of them haven't actually played AFL this year or very minimal AFL this year. So uh, there's always something to take the shine off of a good win, which it was. And, and by and large, the Magpies team is fairly young across the board. And yeah, um, good to finish the season on a high, unfortunately, just during the middle part of the year when from the top down, we suffered our, the height of our injuries. We couldn't um, get a couple more wins and put us into the finals equation. But um, yeah, that's okay. We finished the season on a high and now the focus is on the power, uh, in particularly this weekend. Uh, my next point was uh, Sean Burgoyne returns home. Uh, it's a great moment for the club this week. Obviously, for those who listen to you know, sports media, would have thought that it was a shoe-in to go to the Adelaide Crows just with some of the commentary around that. And as it seems um, after the announcement was made that we may have offered him a bit more and, and that obviously the romantic choices he said on radio was to come back home, which he'd also planned to do nine years ago. Um, and not now, but yeah, his knee held up at Hawthorne and he gathered all the success that came with it and credit to him. And he did put a few, a uh, few topics to rest. Obviously, the reason the way he left came up and he, he cleared things up a little bit and obviously the captaincy thing came up and, and look, you know, there was a lot of Port Adelaide supporters who believed at the time that he left because he didn't get the captaincy. Um, you know, it was very easy to make that assumption early on. Uh However, as it seems, it's not particularly the way it was and we have to take Sean's word on face value. He's He was a great servant for this club and a very trustworthy and honourable person in himself. He's not a very dirty uh, player or, or a bad person. He's always held himself in a uh, at a high standard and, and yeah, it, it seems like there was a lot distracting him at Port Adelaide and unfortunately we had to... Um, and had to see him go, which is disappointing because he could have been involved, although he was involved with a bit of success at Hawthorne, he could have been involved with a bit of a resurgence at Port Adelaide, um, especially when Ken Hinckley took over, but it wasn't to be. It's all said and done now. He played 400 games in total. He's retired, and now we've got him back, back at home. And isn't, isn't it great to see all these ex-players returning to the club? It, it's just... It just magnifies the soul that the Port Adelaide Football Club has and what would be the jealousy of um, a few other clubs out there in the AFL that we do have a soul. It is kind of uh, tangible in a way uh, just for the sheer fact that um, players have returned after being abroad, um, ex-players have come back, the likes of you know Jared Schofield, who's on our coaching panel, Sean Burgoyne in this new role. Uh, you had uh, Dean Brogan when, uh, before COVID when um, salary caps allowed it or soft caps for the de- uh, coaching departments. And, you know, on a playing level, we had Brad Ebert come back and uh, going back further, Josh Carr. So 
it's really great. It fills me with a lot of joy seeing all these ex-players and ex-greats come back and just wanting to impart their wisdom on the players and administration that are currently there and moving forward. Um, so, yeah, as everyone would know in the press uh, that he is in a multifaceted role, including list management and development, commercial and government liaison and uh, Aboriginal liaison officer with our industry-leading Aboriginal programs, which, again, is another thing to be super proud of in the AFL, that us, Port Adelaide Football Club, you know, a suburban club from the suburbs of Adelaide, are an industry leader in uh, an Aboriginal aspect, an Indigenous Australian aspect, where Aboriginal players per capita uh, are more employed in the AFL than they are in any other industry in Australia, and then Port Adelaide puts their name in lights, um, being an industry leader in itself by running all of their Aboriginal programs, which is fantastic. Now, the next topic I wanted to raise and my final topic for In the News was the John McCarthy uh, was the ninth anniversary of his passing uh, yesterday. And um, I, I wrote a little bit on my Facebook page just uh, honouring him and his name. And I, I did. It, it does feel a bit timely that uh, it is a pretty important week for the Port Adelaide Football Club and for his anniversary to be in this week. And as I mentioned in my Facebook post, it was quite a devastating time at the end of 2012. Obviously, the club, off the back of two really average seasons, and, and John McCarthy came and joined Port Adelaide in 2012, and... Although he wasn't a superstar, he showed a lot of uh, what we wanted to see, and he was a very serviceable player. Uh, he For that year, he averaged 18 disposals, four marks and three tackles. So no, um, no Brownlow contention there, but definitely not a poor performer. He played most of our games that season. I think he might have only missed one or two, if I remember correctly. And in 2012, I was definitely going to... Um, pretty much all of the home games, uh, being a member. And uh, he definitely did have an impact, a big impact, considering he was only with our football club for a short amount of time. And, you know, a guy like Brad Ebert, who has Port Adelaide running through his veins uh, and someone that we as Port Adelaide supporters would look to and trust and admire for him to have such a connection to a first-year player like that and the devastation that was to come with it afterwards with, John McCarthy's accidental passing uh, during that trip. It was um, such a shocking time. And as I wrote in that post, uh, yeah, I in 2012, I don't know how old I would have been, um, 21, I think, at the time. And I just absorbing the news, uh, obviously we had an average year. Um, some of the, some of the, News came out during the different outlets in Australia and, you know, Port Adelaide player had passed away on an on a end-of-season trip and just absorbing all that information. Um, going through a rough patch myself um, at the time, I just couldn't believe it. I was just overcome with such emotion. And, and again, like I wrote in my post, I'd never actually met John McCarthy. I, I, I didn't go out to too many club functions or post-match functions. I, I still don't, I, um, but and all the credit to the people that do, it, it must be great 
uh, meeting players uh, out of hours, I guess you could say. Uh, but I never met him, and I, it didn't matter. It didn't matter to me, like the way I feel towards my football club. And as I wrote, is that well, once you're in at Port Adelaide, you're in. Like you, you truly are family, and everyone wants the best for you. Uh, you're part of what we strive to be and that's the greatest club in Australia and we want you to excel in every aspect of your life and including your football life and um, from what we understand John McCarthy was a a fantastic guy off off the field and I couldn't contain myself I just couldn't believe it with a young man with so much promise I think I don't think we were similar ages but not too dissimilar at the time and uh yeah, I guess that kind of hit home a little bit um, for me, like just being that young um, and all of a sudden um, your parents have to say goodbye to you and, you, and you've brought a family and, and no parent in particular should have to do that. I'm, um, uh, for those who know me personally, know that I'm expecting my firstborn child in, in November and um, yeah, I, even now beforehand, I, I couldn't imagine the heartache that that would have caused and uh, we held a service or Port Adelaide held a service down at Alberton I, I believe it was that week or maybe the fortnight after I can't quite remember and uh, I was working I was doing shift work at the time and uh, I had that period free and it was it was a lovely day and I went down to Alberton just to pay my respects and watch the service from Victoria um, I think they held it in Sorrento where he was originally from and uh, there was a lot of people there at Alberton and um, a lot of care in the air, I guess you could say, and and um, one of the oh, one of the uh, one of the club's volunteers, um, I can't remember her name. Uh, I apologise. She's on the Women in Power video for our AFLW push. Um, I don't know if she's in the cheer squad, but she's one of the club's oldest, longest serving volunteers. Uh, she was handing out John McCarthy badges, and I um. I, I got one from her and I sat down and then I kind of sheepishly got back up and I was like, oh, you know, my dad and like a couple of the members of my family would really appreciate a, a badge just to remember him. And, and without a doubt, she she said, oh, no worries and handed me a couple of extra badges. And, and still to this day, I, I have my John McCarthy badge on my flag. Um, my dad has him on his hat and just to pay our respects to the, to the man and I, I keep it on my left side. Um, uh, keep it closest to my heart and uh, again you know he, he he was only with us for a year and you know, I'm getting a little bit emotional now just talking about it um but us in the Port Adelaide community yeah we 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 treated him as family uh, and we and in such a poor time for the club he made the move and he took us on as much as we took him on if, if that makes sense and yeah I, I still wear wear the badge to this day um I don't know I feel a bit, I don't know, it's disrespectful maybe to take it off. Uh, I feel, uh, yeah, uh, and maybe until we win a premiership, and especially because of a few of the guys playing, uh, particularly in tomorrow's preliminary final, uh, were around in 2012, like Travis Boak and, and Robbie Gray and um, Tom Jonas, I believe. Um, maybe oh, Hamish Hartlett as well, who, who won't be playing, but he'll be, he's around the club. Um, yeah, like I said in my Facebook post, I'm sure they'll be keeping him in the front of their minds and wanting to do him proud, as I believe uh, 
2013 and 2014, although Ken was a new coach and we had a new raft of players, it definitely, there's it, no doubt in my mind um, that his memory definitely gave us a little extra push and motivation. Um, again, with Brad Ebert being a, a key part of our team and being such a close friend of his while he was at the club, I, I believe that was a, a key driver in some of their motivations to win a premiership in his honour. And unfortunately, we didn't get there at that time period. And as the years go by, it, I don't know if it seems like, yeah, I'm not sure what I'm trying to say, but yeah, um, to cut it short, yeah, I, I believe that they would be keeping him in his mind. And I, and I hope we do him proud still, and I hope we have done him proud Uh and I hope we get the win for him tomorrow and, and then the Premiership next uh, or in a fortnight's time uh, to, yeah, really honour his memory. And, and yeah, I'll, I'll be there with my scarf on both tomorrow night and hopefully in a fortnight's time with him, yeah, with him by my side, I guess you could say. Um, so I'll leave it at that. Rest in peace, J-Mac. Um, yeah, you're gone, but nowhere near forgotten. Okay, so let's get on to the fun stuff. So, Western Bulldogs, the last time we met, obviously in round 23, so not too long ago, and the score sheet read Port Adelaide 9-12-66, defeating Western Bulldogs 10-4-64. Travis Boak led the goals with two goals three, followed by Connor Rosie with two goals one, Ollie Wines with 34 disposals, and Travis Boak again with 31 disposals for the Western Bulldogs. Uh, Tim English with the two goals straight and Lockie Hunter with one goal two. McRae leading their disposals with 29 and Bailey Smith with 25. So with this game, the ins and outs for both teams. Port, as we all know, we're going unchanged. How fantastic is that? The only change, I guess you could say, is Sam Pepper, who got omitted as he was the Medi-sub. Now, uh, for those who've watched Ken Hinckley's press conference today, he's already mentioned that uh, Peps will be the Medi-sub uh, going into tomorrow night's game, so that's fantastic. Uh, as much as everyone would love him on the field, and uh, yeah, I would too, but it was my personal opinion that I don't think we should change our team for the qualify from the qualifying final. And as it seen as it is now, uh, we haven't SVPs as Medi Sub again, uh, and what a good Medi Sub! If he's going to be anything, um, whether it be out or the Medi Sub, he's the perfect Medi Sub. He comes on and he can burst onto the scene. Um, for the Western Bulldogs, they've made a few key changes. Very interesting seeing the teams on Thursday evening. So coming in is Zane Cordy and Steph Martin. And going out is Alex Keith, their key defender. Cody Waitman with the uh, concussion. And Lewis Young, who's been omitted. Our form leading up until tomorrow's game, we are 5-0 and with an average win uh, margin of 34 points. Uh, average score four is 89 points and average score against is 55. Western Bulldogs form is two goals, uh, two goals, three, two wins and three losses. Average winning margin of 25 points and average losing margin of 14 points. Their average score four is 69 and then their average score against is 68. That's a really interesting uh, stat uh, to show. Uh, very even with the scores over the last five matches for the Western Bulldogs. So, the keys to the match, like I said at the top of the pod, uh, it's not too dissimilar to when we played them in round 23. Obviously, there's a couple of key changes, uh, particularly Stefan Martin in the middle and, and Alex Keith down back. But uh, 
for those who have listened to the Creedcast with Dave or who will listen to it, uh, I mentioned that it'll be won and lost in the middle. And, and by and large, their midfield group is all the same. There's an injury cloud over Marcus Bontempelli, and I think he is sore, but he is going to play. Um, so, uh, last time we met, we won the contested mark, we won contested possessions, clearances, and intercept possessions, which we actually flipped from the first game against the Bulldogs last time at Adelaide Oval. Uh, so, again, those are going to be key drivers for us winning this game, and key statistics that I think that we're more than capable of winning, if anything's to go by the round 23 game. Steph Martin coming in is interesting. He is underdone. He hasn't played since round 12, I believe it's been said, which means that Lysette and Laddams need to, whether he's storm early, he's going to come hard. I believe that's why he's been picked to be a bigger body. And historically, um, while Steph Martin was playing for Brisbane, I think he's actually got the better of Scott Lysette. Obviously, those times he was in much better health uh, and form, but he is a big unit and um, there's been talk that he might get used early as a battering ram and maybe get subbed off. I don't think that's a smart move to make, uh, particularly when you've got uh, a Bontebelli who's got a question mark over him, but he is going to come hard and come early and I I believe we've got a Ruckman in Scott Lysette who can weather that storm quite well and then they need to run him off his feet as the game wears on because English will rotate forward as he did in the last match we had against them. Uh, but then what, when English is in the Ruck, we need Lysette to beat him up. As Oscar Man- McInerney showed in the semi-final, he is capable of being knocked around a bit and Lysette, uh, sorry, Laddams needs to just trust his jumping power and his midfield know-how to beat them in the middle and link up with our midfielders and giving our midfielders best looks at it. Uh, Willem Drew clamped down Liberatore in round 23. I expect that to happen again. It makes total and utter sense over Drew's last couple of games. He's shut down two key clearance players in the AFL in Liber um, and Joel Selwood. Like I said, you cut off their best clearance player, the rest of their midfield needs to shoulder that burden and and lift. Uh, and for people who aren't quite used to doing it, um, it's something else that, yeah, I guess everyone's capable. And, like, we're in the last four, we're in the best four teams of, of the season really now. So, you know, midfields have more than one player capable of winning clearance, but when you take out your key pillar, in terms of clearance, it does make things a little bit harder. Now, on top of that, I believe our midfield needs to crowd the stoppage and deny the Bulldogs to play their quick handball or I've got in brackets throw game uh, game style. Uh, we all know that the Bulldogs like to win that clearance and then slickly whip it out uh, quickly, very quickly, uh, whether over their head or underneath, very creative handballing. Uh, so... Uh, I believe Tom Rockcliffe was on Channel 10 earlier this week and he basically said a similar thing. Uh, yeah, you just need to crowd them uh, while respecting their wingers. Bailey Smith showed that, and Lockie Hunter for that matter, showed against Brisbane that if you don't pay them the respect that they deserve and try and crowd the stoppage too much, that they will, they are more than capable of burning you going forward. So we need to crowd the stoppage, yes, while keeping the wingers uh, accountable. 
Um, and uh, guys like Xavier Dersma and Miles Bergman, who's come into his own as a, as a bit of a wingman, do have immense running capacity. So as long as they don't crowd when they're not supposed to crowd, if that makes sense, and make good decisions under pressure, we'll be right on top and leave the guys like Travis Boak, Ollie Wines and Carl Amon to do their things, which they've been doing on the inside. Um, so going down back, McKenzie uh, to lock down on Norton, I believe. Uh, they tried Norton to go to a Lear in round 23. I think that got rotated around a little bit, if I'm remembering correctly. But if we lock down on Norton and Jonas to the resting Ruckman to eliminate their tall targets, that, Allier, that allows Lear to roam and get his fist in, take intercept marks and really command that intercept possession game. Missing Josh Bruce, as I mentioned in my blog cast for the round 23 game, it leaves a big hole. And not only that, is now they're missing the small forward, their, their better small forward in Cody Waitman, who um, had two shots on goal in round 23 and two direct goal assists. So I think together they're averaging about four goals to five goals a game. And now they're going to have to find those five goals from someone else. And and with Norton being the key figurehead down there, it does put a lot of pressure on his shoulders. Sure, Tim English got a couple of goals in round 23, but they were more or less over the top and not necessarily won in the contest. So, yeah, Norton showed lately without Josh Bruce as another foil up forward that he's getting a lot of attention and a lot of attention that he's not used to handling like uh, a Charlie Dixon is, for example. Speaking of Charlie Dixon, there's no Alex Keith, and, and that was that was actually a huge shock to me. I um, didn't – there was no inkling. I'm sure a shock to a lot of people. There was no inkling that that was going to happen. And, yeah, there was a recount of the when they played Essendon, Alex Keith didn't play with a hamstring issue. And, obviously, it's kind of been lingering over the last month, and he's either – he either got a little bit better and, and then it's re-injured a little bit or he's kind of playing through it, maybe getting jabs. I'm not too sure. It's delicate, the hamstring. Um, so I'm not sure there, but oh, it just leaves a huge opportunity for Charlie Dixon. It means that he could get off the chain if the Bulldogs aren't careful. Uh, it's not too far to say that they'll try and crowd Charlie Dixon, but there's so many other forwards, tall forwards and small forwards around him that if they want to crowd Charlie Dixon, he showed against Geelong that he's more than happy to just knock it on and almost get a hit out from a forward 50 entry, direct where it goes and our players at ground level can feast on it. Uh, So expect a bit of that, but if he gets some space and decent entry, he could break his goalless streak, which he finds himself in. He's gone two games goalless. And as we saw during the week, he was wearing the prison bar, John McCarthy Guernsey, another good credit to J-Mac, uh, which shows that although you don't, you're not lighting up a stat sheet, and it was a, the, a lot of opinion of a lot of fans that he had a great game against Geelong without the stats uh, on the sheet, and it goes to show that there's more to a game of football than what we read in hindsight on um, the, you know, the statistics board and what the coaches want of you and what they expect of you. Uh, So we could get a lot of that, as I believe that they'll crowd, but 
it could be another 2017 elimination final game from Charlie Dixon. It, it's probably been a while since he has finds himself with this kind of opportunity to really get off the chain. And sure, like Zane Cordy, I believe, is a premiership player. And, you know, they're no slouches. Again, it's the Western Bulldogs. It's a top four team. They have a good system, as Ken alluded to in his uh, press conference. They'll have a system and they'll have a plan. But if that plan doesn't work fully or if it's not even 75% of the way there, Charlie Dixon is a man mountain. He's a mammoth of a player, and he's more than capable of ripping this game apart and grabbing it by the scruff of his neck just on his own. So most of all, and I mentioned, it's more or less a quick preview for me. Um, when it's all said and done, like I, yeah, like I said, a lot of what, I could say now is not too dissimilar to when we played in round 23. Win it in the middle, surge it forward. And, and we dominated them. Let's be honest. We dominated them. There was 21 scoring shots to 14. And that was with Alex Keith. And, uh, we won inside 50 marks. We won tackles inside 50. Uh, and that was, yeah, in round 23. So it's all lined up. For us to be winners and comfortable winners, and I'm feeling fairly confident. Um, our team seems switched on. They seem ready to go. They seem like they have a mission. That kind of hunger that was spoken about very early in the season, before we got a lot of injuries, looks to be coming back with a vengeance now, and uh, a particular drive and focus. And um, yeah, I- I'm pretty confident. But to finish my keys to the match. Most of all, uh, same as my most of all last time around, we have to start well and we can't allow them to kick a burst of three to five goals. They've had a couple of hard weeks, although they won by a large margin against Essendon. It was still wet weather football. They still kind of had to slog it out in the stoppages and they were getting reward forward. Last week was what I've called probably looked like their grand final, um, whoever was to win that game. And as it turned out, it was the Bulldogs. So, They've had a couple of rough weeks to go on the back of three losses at the end of the season. So it's been a bit of a slog for them over the last five rounds. And with these injuries, a bit uh, their changes, they've kind of been written off a little bit and Port have been, you know, unbackable favourites. And, and we deserve to be favourites. We're, we're really putting it together at the right time of the year. We've, we're at home. But Luke Beveridge is a good coach. And he will be well on top of his players, reminding them of all all I've just said, you know, that they've been written off already. And they'll want to come at us hard. I mentioned in uh, the podcast with Dave on Wednesday that they could take a leaf out of the Adelaide Crows book in regards to that second showdown and really try and drag us down to a minimal level and scrap it out and uh, make it hard for us to score, really make it a dogfight. And... That may, but the Crows tried to do that, but they also tried to hit us hard early. And that's what I'm expecting. And it's what I expect from every team really coming up against Port Adelaide. You've got to hit us early. A, because it's been spoken about as a bit of a weakness for us, but B, because we are a fairly good finishing team um, throughout, and in particular, the last part of the season. So you know that if we're on fairly level pegging come quarter and half time, that we're probably in the box seat even if we're behind, 
So I expect the Bulldogs to come out hard. We just need to weather the storm and kind of allow them to put it all on the scoreboard. Our back seven are all in good form. They need to keep on doing what they've been doing and for an extended period of time. I mentioned before how the setup may look back there. Just keep on keeping on and keep using the ball effectively like they have been all kicking uh, or disposing of the ball uh, at that 75% plus mark. Keep that going. Keep that chain going. Keep our scoring options open from for a defensive transition. Keep that option open so we're not relying on just our forward half game. Or I believe we'll get more than enough opportunities going inside 50, and that's where our forward half game will come to the fore. But when our defenders are asked to take it on, Really use that ball effectively and create defensive half-scoring chains like we know they can and like we have seen them work towards, particularly in the first half of the season. We have added that string to our bow, so make sure you do it. I'm going to leave it there. Like I said, I'm fairly confident. My game prediction, I believe the Power are going to win by around three goals, as I mentioned the other night in the Creedcast. I believe... One quarter in particular is going to be a 50-50. It's going to be a scrap. It could well be the first quarter. But I feel that overall, and especially with the the teams listed as they are, we're at least a one goal per quarter better team. So therefore, one quarter of 50-50 and three quarters of a goal the better leaves us with a nice three goal margin. And I, I really hope that We've got that buffer very late into the fourth quarter, so we're not hanging on the edge of our seats and we're not having to get defibrillators into Adelaide Oval and slashing people with water because they've fainted. (laughs) So yeah, power by three goals. My best on ground is going to be Ollie Wines. Uh, I believe Boat could take care of an injured Bontempelli, really take him to the cleaners. And if Bontempelli's listed, he's 100% in our eyes anyway. You go into that field, you got to play and you got to perform. So just like Boak and Wines did uh, the last time we played, take him to the cleaners, teach him a football lesson again. Don't let him impact and don't let him dictate for his team. He's a proud player, but Boak take cares, takes care of him and that leaves Wines to roam from contest to contest. He got 34 disposals the last time we met the Western Bulldogs and I expect another finals-like performance from Ollie Wines in this preliminary final. He, on like more than anyone or just as much as anyone in the Port Adelaide team at the moment, is really looks really driven, looks really driven to succeed. And it showed in his interview on AFL 360 during the week. My biggest improver for the game is Charlie Dixon. As I said earlier, there's no Keith, which means it's time for Chuck to grab the game by the scruff of the neck. He's had two goals games, as I referred to, and it's primed perfectly for him. Hopefully, the weather holds off. There is a little bit of uh, forecast for a little bit of rain. Uh, last time I checked, it's a high, a high possibility of rain, but only between zero and one millimetres. And although it is supposed to come in the evening, zero to one millimetres isn't too much to be worried about. And we have shown in uh, multiple different weather um, scenarios this season that we are more than capable of adjusting, which is another tick for me because I've mentioned previously it's been a knock from my opinion of Port in the past being a more dry weather football team and not being able to adapt to wet weather. But this year in particular, I think we uh, have been able to adapt and and, and play 
um, that wet weather football. But in saying that, I'm, I'm sticking on the wet weather focus. It's supposed to rain, but not, but not not enough to be a worry. So Charlie Dixon, he'll take him one-handed, he'll take him two-handed. Uh, coming off two goalless games, he'll really want to rectify that. It's not very often that that happens in itself. And even more so, it's not very often that you see Charlie Dixon go three games goalless. It'd be really interesting to see when the last time that would have been. However, I don't expect it to be the case tomorrow night. My best bet for tomorrow night's game is I've had a look at the markets and, and with the teams coming out, a bit of the injury focus on the Bulldogs, the markets have kind of shifted in terms of the line. Uh, we're at 15 and a half points the last time I checked. And although I've predicted us to win by three goals, it is a preliminary final. I don't, if I'm putting money on it, I don't want to give up um, a three goal or two and a half goal lead to the Bulldogs in, in that regard with the line. Uh, it could be very well be a close game. Uh, who knows? Uh, every preliminary final except for one that Port Adelaide's played has been decided by six points or under. So I'm staying away from that one. I'm going to go Riley Bonner for the 20-plus disposals. So uh, you can get that at a dollar eighty at the tab last time I checked. Uh, I believe it's set up well for him. Riley Bonner, the last time we played the Bulldogs, got 24 disposals. And in the qualifying final, he finished on the 20 disposals. And if the Bulldogs play, if the game's played anywhere similar to uh, our last final and the last game against the Bulldogs, it, it's kind of set up perfectly for Riley Bonner to rebound off, off halfback. And in that Western Bulldogs review, I mentioned that he was kind of just there for a get-out um, get out handball um, from a couple of teammates who were under pressure. He was kind of there when you needed him to be, which again is another tick on Riley Bonner, <laughs> but I don't want to stick too much on my uh, thoughts and admiration for Riley Bonner's uh, end of the season. But yeah, we're going to go for the 20 plus disposals for him again with mostly good weather that should work in his favor too. And we'll hope to get that one up and hopefully go six of six. I believe we're going for, um, so, as always, gamble responsibly. Don't put on any more than you're willing to lose. But Riley Bonner, 20-plus disposals. So, that's all from me. Nice, short, sharp, and shiny. I hope well, I was probably, I've probably rabbled on a little bit. Um, but I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. I hope you get it in your ears before tomorrow night's game and, and just kind of have a think yourself and, and absorb all the energy. Um. Oh, I don't know, the nerves are creeping up just a little bit now and it's such a beautiful day. Like, it's springtime. It's the time you want to be playing finals football and just super happy that we're going to be there. Now, I know tomorrow I'm going to be a bit of a wreck, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, we just hope that it's a more comfortable and fruitful night um, than anything. Uh, so... If you haven't liked me on Facebook, I'd highly appreciate that. I'm posting a couple things throughout the week and just my thoughts and opinions on various things that pop up. If you're listening to me on any of the major podcast platforms, I'd really appreciate a rate and review. It would help me get up there in the standings and put me in front of new people's faces and ears and uh, I want to bring my content to as many people as possible and in particular as many Port Adelaide fans as possible. So... That's all from me for tonight. Go the power. I'm pumped. I can't wait. I'll be sitting in day 532 
if anyone wants to say hello, um, just send me a message. Um, but for those who got tickets, congratulations. Let's make some noise. Let's all get in this together and hope we get over the line. I'm pretty confident we will. Go Port. Bye for now.